everyone. Welcome back to The Last Defense. Now, here are your hosts, Hanno Navi and Michael Belowski. How are you doing there, Mike? Oh, I'm doing great. It's great to finally be doing a show again. Yeah, same here. It's been a while. I know we've had a lot of stuff going on in our lives, and we've got a lot on our plate as well, you know, for the next coming months and years. But, um... Uh, let's see. First of all, we want to go ahead and talk about some of the updates that we're going to have to the website. So go ahead and tell everyone that you would like, you know, some of the things that you would like to do. Okay, well, uh, probably not many of you have noticed listening, but I have been trying to do 10-minute and 15-minute little spots, uh, just just kind of summarizing the news of the day. At first, I was calling it the daily uh, the Daily Brief. Now I'm calling it Mike's Rant. Uh, in any case, uh, I'm no longer going to be using Pod- Podomatic. I listened to our friend James Corbett, who had us on, obviously, about the drones, and he had me on again later about North Korea. And he did an episode, How to Make a Professional Podcast. And basically, and, and again, uh, Hanul already knows all this. He does you know, the editing for these episodes. But I'm still learning. And I'm going to be using Audacity. It's a great uh, software for creating podcasts. I'm going to be using Levelator, which makes it sound better. In fact, I'm even in contact with um, musicians from upstate New York, my home where I'm from. And they're gonna, we're going to try to make arrangements for you know, bumper music. So uh, the, anyway, the, those briefs that I've been doing should start to sound more professional. So... No, that's awesome, man, you know, because we need to keep these things going. And the little briefs, you know, you can just give like snippets of information, which will be really useful to our listeners just to keep them updated, something audio to listen to, you know, because I know a lot of times for our podcasts and for the website, we just tend to, you know, give a lot of information. But I think sometimes it's good to keep up to date with what's happening in the world just by giving, you know, your own views, your own opinions. It doesn't always have to be one or the other person, you know you know, doing the podcast together, you know, mm-hmm. so it kind of keeps everything fresh. And what other reasons do you have for like actually doing these, um, daily rants or whatever, or your Mike's rants rather? Yeah. Well, well, first of all, you know, we should do them together whenever possible, but, or you should do your own as well. But in any case, the reason I'm doing them is because, uh, I'm a journalist by, by trade. That's my career. That's what I went to school for. I went to Seton Hall University for uh, journalism. And I am in my second day of the rest of my life. <laughs> what I'm talking about is my teaching English career is over. Uh, oh, yeah. the, next, the next time that I wake up and go to a full-time job, unless something goes wrong, and, and there's plenty of potential for things to go wrong, but in any case... Uh, Ideally, the next time I wake up and go to a full-time job, it will be a media job, a media-related job, writing, doing speaking on the radio, doing podcasts, uh, editing, something media of some sort of nature. So, And I am moving to the United States in May. And there's actually a backstory that I want to not spend too much time on, but uh, we... I don't think I've talked a lot about vaccines in the past, but I want to talk a little bit about vaccines now because the U.S. Embassy is denying my wife a green card to, or a visa to go to the United States 
because we don't want her to take the MMR vaccine. That's the measles, mumps, and rubella vaccine, and also the tetanus shot, another vaccine. Oh, yeah. So that's, that sounds like two vaccines. It's actually four vaccines because measles, mumps, rubella is three in one. And, uh, you know, I, I've probably, because of my circumstances, my father's a pediatrician. I have an unvaccinated son. Uh, the embassy, schools, just institutions in general just want everybody to take vaccines these days. So I decided a long time ago that I was going to study vaccines uh, as much as I study any other topic, economics, geopolitics, eugenics. It actually is part of eugenics, so uh, definitely relevant there. But I've probably spent... Uh, no exaggeration, 50 to 100 hours this year just studying vaccines. And that's after I did two articles on vaccines for Guangzhou News Magazine in Korea. Yeah, I wanted and, to ask you quickly, like, because this mm -hmm. is a really important topic for you since you've recently had your child, and um, well, you and your wife have recently had your child, I wanted to know exactly what are some of the issues with the measles, mumps, rubella vaccines, as well as some of the other ones that you've come across in your research. Well, as a general rule, the more you take at one time, the more dangerous it becomes. Uh, it's better to spread them out. And I'm not even sure if you can get measles, mumps, and rubella separated anymore. It used to be that you could get measles and mumps and rubella vaccines separated one and one and one. Now you have to get them three and one, I believe. So, But in any case, even the individual vaccines are dangerous. And again, I could probably talk about this for an hour, but I'm going to try to really briefly go over some bullet points about what to think about with vaccines. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that they're all 100% bad. Uh, they're certainly not all good, but I'm not saying that vaccines are, you know, point blank, black and white, bad for you. Uh, just that there's things to think about. Like, for example, you can't sue a vaccine company. Now think about that. Um, in 1986, the vaccine companies went to the U.S. government and they, they said, you know, we're not making any money. We get too many lawsuits. So they, the U.S. vaccine industry is the only industry I'm aware of in the world where they have government liability protection. That means you cannot sue. You can collect money. You can issue a complaint and collect money, but it doesn't come from the vaccine companies. The money actually comes from the money that everybody pays when they buy a vaccine. You're actually buying insurance when you buy a vaccine, and they don't tell you. So imagine if you were buying, say, a car, and something was wrong with this car where every X hundreds or thousands of miles driven, uh, the brake pads would fail and you would crash and burn alive. Well, imagine if without the car dealer telling you you were buying insurance for that accident if it happened, you would probably be pretty pissed off if you found out about it you know, later on. Well, that's what everybody pays. 25 cents of every vaccine fee goes to this. Uh, they call it VAERS, Vaccine Adverse Emergency Reporting System. I don't think that's the correct acronym. But in any case, there is a federal agency that pays out for these damages. But you, people need to ask common sense-wise, why would you need this if they're so safe? Why do they need to protect the vaccine companies if they're so safe? And that's not getting into the uh, literally hundreds of ingredients, including neurotoxins and carcinogens. Carcinogens are anything that causes cancer, aluminum, 
uh, formaldehyde. Formaldehyde, if that sounds familiar, that's what caused you know a big um, fuss about cigarettes. Cigarettes have formaldehyde. Uh, aluminum, obviously not good. They still use uh, thimerosal, a.k.a. Uh, mercury, to make vaccines. Now, most doctors will tell you they don't use mercury anymore. They do use mercury. They just take it out. Um, after they manufacture it. But the thing is, they can't take out all the mercury. It's impossible. Yeah. And uh, uh, Again, there's over 100 ingredients. It would be impossible to go over everything, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that. Just remember, you can't sue a vaccine company. There's tons of ingredients. If you put these ingredients in somebody's drink and uh, somebody caught you, they would charge you with attempted murder. I'm not kidding. So, but in, in medicine, it's considered, you know, health policy. So, uh, again, you know, this is something I think we're going to get Dr. Tenpenny on. She's a famous doctor in the United States. She confirmed she will come on The Last Defense 2012. It's just a matter of when. I actually talked to her on live radio not too long ago oh, yeah. as a calling guest to one of her shows. But uh, she's going to come on. It's only a matter of when, and that's when I would prefer to really get into this topic. But I just want to put it out there that me and my wife do have a situation with the embassy. We contacted a lawyer. I contacted a lawyer, and we do think we can beat this, but um, it might take a little bit of money and a lot of homework on my part. So I want to keep uh, our audience updated on that because it could be a scenario where we actually become the news. Instead of just talking about the news, we might actually become the news. So I just want to put that out there. This is all developing day by day. And, you know, as the weeks go on, I'll post about what's going on with that. It could be legally precedent setting what happens with our case. So. Well, cool. I mean, I wish you the best of luck because. This particular situation doesn't seem to be easy, but I know when you have to do, you know, things like litigation in court or you have to, you know, become involved in a lawsuit, it can be a long, lengthy process. So, you know, Mm -hmm. my hat's off to you for at least fighting this issue. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how much I don't know how much we can commit. It's going to cost some money. I might try to do it myself. That's obviously risky as well. Uh but, um, yeah, it's just uh, even if you think – let's just say that you think vaccines are great and good for you and wholesome. Can you really force somebody to take that? Can you force somebody to inject dangerous, known dangerous carcinogens and uh, neurotoxins into their body? I don't, I don't think most people, even pro-vaccine people, I think most of them would admit that's not right. So right. anyway – yeah, I mean, I mean, it's it seems weird, you know, how they um, pretty much force medicate people through the fluoride system in the water. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that that's one thing that people have been fighting, you know, the world over, and a lot of states in the United States have pretty much tried to fight to get that out of their system, their water systems. Mm-hmm. So there are and now, waivers. Hmm? And now they want to put. Um, what, what do you call it? Aspartame in the milk, in dairy products. And here's the catch. They're not gonna t- it's not going to be labeled on the milk carton or the yogurt or whatever you're eating. Yeah. So, I mean, now they're trying to put stuff. It's one thing to put it in your food and water. Now they're not going to tell you. I-, I would think by law you have, you have to list all the ingredients when you buy something, right? Right. But they're, they don't want to do it anymore. 
well, unfortunately, you know, the corporations are writing the laws and they're pretty much, you know, giving themselves amnesty from those laws or giving themselves, you know, immunity from those laws. You know, it's the same thing the world over. I don't know. I really just don't think that we're really living in a just and fair society where we're allowed to mm -hmm. live by just laws and, you know, to give ourselves, you know, credibility in our justice system. I don't think it really exists that much anymore. You know, there are uh, a small few group of people there, you know, that exist within the judicial system in parts of America that do want to uphold laws and do want to fight for the little guy. But I think it's becoming more and more difficult these days. Mm -hmm. And did you hear about that proposition? Oh, I forgot what 37, I, I for, proposition 37, 37 in California. It was literally 75% polling in favor of Proposition 37. But electronic voting uh, turns out Californians don't want to know what's in their food, GMO food. If anybody believes that, I don't believe that for a second. I think the electronic voting kicked in and, uh, you know, changed that. But, uh, you know, make what you will of it. I mean, I've got no proof on this issue other than that it just stinks to hell. Yeah, it does stink. And the funny thing about Proposition 37 is that a lot of people supported it, and it was shot down, and it was something that was just natural. So what a lot of companies um, wanted to do, instead of demanding that corporations label their products if they're GMO or not, a lot of companies like Kashi and a few other organic companies have decided that they're going to label their products as GMO, you know, um, free. Non-GMO. Non That's brilliant. That's great. Yeah, so it's a way to circumvent the issue. So, mm -hmm. I've, you know, it's actually changed my habits when I go to the grocery store. When I was um, visiting in the States, which I will get into in a little bit, I realized that whenever I wanted to buy something, I would make sure that it said, you know, GMO-free or organic, completely organic. And that mm -hmm. helped me to make wiser decisions um, and to know exactly what I was putting in my body when I, I would decide to go to the grocery store, pay for food or, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. And it, it's getting harder and harder. I go to a 7-Eleven and you can't buy something that's not in... Uh, plastic made out of uh, what is it? BPA plastic. You mm -hmm. can't buy candy without aspartame. You can't buy, uh, you know, most chips or anything without MSG. It's getting to the point where you pretty much have to go to the farmers market to uh, get real food. And, and isn't it funny? Isn't it ironic that organic food they they labeled organic? That's real food. That's what our grandparents ate. Mm -hmm. That is normal food. <laughs> you know? It's food. But, it's not this what they call Frankencrop, you know, crap that right. they've been, you know, they've been putting in our market. You know, I don't, I don't understand how it's difficult for someone to increase production. You know, a lot of times they say that the GMOs are supposed to be, you know, a wise decision so that they can produce more food, produce more crops. You know, in the agribusiness world, but the problem with it is. It makes it so unsafe for us to eat. Why would we eat something that, you know, damages our DNA whenever we, you know, take it into our bodies? Why would we mm -hmm. eat something that is literally a contaminant and devoid of nutrients at best? I was looking at um, 
something that was on the United Nations website and through a couple of other articles that are posted on the internet. It's called Codex Elementarius, and it's a guideline or, you know, like a set of guidestones mm. for the United Nations that tell people how they're going to regulate our food, what is considered a contaminant, what is not considered a contaminant. And the problem with this is, is that it gives the UN total power to dictate to other countries what exactly, you know, they can label as a problem, what they can label as, you know, GMO or it sets up pretty much the policies just like the Agenda 21 policy where everyone has to get, you know, smart grids put in and they are supposed to, how would I say, they're supposed to um, regulate. Monitor everything their, we eat. Yeah, regulate everything you eat, and also, you know, the amount of energy consumption, the whole issue with carbon taxes, and so on and so on. So it's giving more legitimacy to the United Nations, but in a way that doesn't really, you know, seem conducive to state sovereignty. In addition, mm -hmm. doesn't seem conducive to human health, human, you know, well-being. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and not only have I heard of... Codex Elementarius, but I actually wrote a big article about this for Guangzhou News Magazine about two years ago or a year and a half ago. And, uh, you know, I collected, since I'm looking for media jobs now, I collected all my articles. I'm going to post that one onto uh, The Last Defense 2012. Maybe not tonight, but certainly, you know, this week. And uh, hopefully people can read, read that and learn more about it. Yeah, we'll be looking forward to that, definitely. Um, I wanted to go over really quickly some of the additional updates that I wanted to add to the website. The first mm -hmm. one was that I wanted to make sure that I was at least putting on the website one article, you know, written by me or, you know, getting these podcasts to be more frequent because I think it, that I owe it to the readers and the listeners. I think that we owe it to the readers and listeners to be productive ourselves rather than just posting information from other websites. Mm -hmm. I think it's good that we keep our journalistic integrity by trying to get things published and get it out there. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to make sure that that is part of our policy for this well, website. We should, we should do both. We, we should do both. And Yeah, absolutely. And, mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think it's important that we do that because, you know, that was one of the, the things that I really enjoyed while I was in South Korea. And, you know, I could sit somewhere and you know, write and be creative and, you know, have the time to inform the public, you know, in the best way that I could. So, you know, there's been a bit of a, you know, lag in that. And as well, you know, on my end, especially, well, I know that you've been... Well, you've been posting, you've been updating the site every day. So well, I, I gotta, I gotta pick it up. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. We've been doing our part. We, we, we did our best and, you know, that's, that's the goal try to get as much information out to people as possible because that's what we're doing this for. We want to keep people, you know, conscious of what's happening in the world. We want to make sure that it's not all doom and gloom, but try to pose solutions as well. Because mm -hmm. I think that without those solutions, it's going to be difficult for people to ascertain why we're doing this and what the relevance of it is to their, their daily life. Mm -hmm. You know, the yeah. media, the media seems to have that kind of power and effect over people where they're able to say, oh, such and such happened, you know, such and such people have died in this incident, you know, such and such laws are going to get passed. And the way they try to pose solutions, which actually work to our detriment, it should be the same way that we're posing solutions to try to make things better. Mm -hmm. What do you think of that? Well, yeah, they give us false solutions. Uh, for, for example, 
I know today we're going to be talking a little bit about, um, I think, guns and gun violence. And their solution is take away all the guns. And uh, the statistics, uh, FBI crime statistics, uh, just worldwide statistics, if you look at societies that require people to own guns, um, uh, that's not true. But they tell you the solution is to take them all away, and I think that's a false solution. And I think you could look at other examples. They say the healthcare s- system is broken, which it is. Uh, again, they correctly identify the problems very often. But then they say, well, everybody should have to buy health care from these private insurance companies. Mm-hmm. And then it, never mind that these were the same pr- private insurance companies that uh, were causing trouble in the first place, you know. Right. It just sets so, up a monopoly for all of those, you know, um, yeah. businesses. It, it's, it, people oftentimes mistake it for free health care or free health care system. That's mm-hmm. not the way it works. It's forcing people to buy health care. Yeah. It has nothing to do with you know, socialism, it has everything to do with corporate fascism. People have to get their terminologies right when they deal with this kind of stuff. And it, for me, it upsets me because number one, I study socialism and I try to understand its, you know, its context within human society. But it's Mm -hmm. another thing to get your terminologies mixed up and to say that this is socialism and this is, you know, communism, this is fascism, blah, 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 without actually understanding what those words means. It makes everything lose its denotative form. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I have no problem give, giving um, free health care to somebody who needs it, but they're going to be making poor people pay for this the way I understand it. Uh, you know, people making less than thirty and $25,000 a year have, have their payroll taxes going up, as I've been hearing on Infowars.com, and um, I don't think they would make that up. I think that's probably true. So, And it's going to be harder for me to get a job when I go back to the U.S. because uh, – like, for example, when I worked for NBC Studios in New York City, they asked me, well, do you want health insurance? And I said, well, how much is it? And they said it was 200 a month. I was only making like 500 a month. That's almost uh, – I mean, I mean, not 500. Uh, anyway, numbers aside, they wanted like 20% of my total pay, 20% of my total pay. And we kind of looked at each other like, you know, because I wasn't making a lot of money anyway and I was a young 20-year-old. And we're like, this conversation is just a formality. Nobody in their right mind would take this deal. But now I would have to take that deal after this new bill passed. That We wouldn't have that conversation because I would be forced to take that deal, even though I would never use it and I didn't want it. And I certainly didn't want to pay for it. But uh, Yeah, and you know, yeah. the funniest thing – sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you. But the funniest thing about it is – you have all of these, you know, private insurance companies lobbying in the state and then the House, you know, House of Representatives and Congress, and they're lobbying to get these types of laws passed. And so what happens is, like I said, it's the merger between between state and corporation. That is the definition of fascism by Benito mm-hmm. Mussolini. And we have to recognize that when we have these policies passed and we start to complain about it, we have to not just look at the state, but we have to look at these corporations that keep getting these things passed. We have no say in this. It's all privatization of capital. It's all the privatization of our policies. It's mm-hmm. growing out of control. Sorry. <laughs> oh, and, and I just wanted to add, a uh, funny thing is we actually have free health care. Now, not if you have money and you can pay for it, but if you go to a hospital and let's say you have no job and you have X amount of kids and you just don't have money for your uh, – 
your injury, etc. But you need to be taken care of. It's called um, the Hippocratic Oath. My father, he's a pediatrician. He took it. Any doctor before like 10 or 15 years ago took the Hippocratic Oath. And the Hippocratic Oath basically says that you will take care of everybody first. You will ask for the money after. And if they don't have the money, well, you just do it for free. And my dad, I've, I had a conversation with my dad about this just a week or two ago. And he admitted, he said, yes, uh, before this bill passed, we would just do things for free sometimes. But now everybody has to pay. And I'm, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but not much. That's basically what he said. Yeah, well, I mean, Hippocratic Oath doesn't exist anymore. In fact, you know, mm-hmm. you're supposed to do no harm to your patients whenever you take the Hippocratic Oath. But now that's completely been reversed. You know, people are given vaccines which have thimerosal mercury. They have, you know, um, many kinds of additives, chemicals, and preservatives which actually harm the baby's development you know, leading to the high rates of autism. You know, you look in a lot of developed countries and you see this issue happening. Um, I recently came across an article which basically laid out the rates of autism around the world. And, you know, South Korea was one of those places that had one of the highest rates. Japan, mm-hmm. One in 32. Mm-hmm. One in 32 in Korea. One in 32. That's a ridiculous number. So it goes to show, like, what is affecting the demographics there? You know, how are the people functioning over there if one in 32 children has autism? Mm-hmm. And, and, and um, it's like a religion here. If I get on a bus, there's an – I saw an ad. I'm not making this up. It said, baby, one more time, a reference to the uh, Britney Spears song, I guess. Mm-hmm. And the, the ad was, baby, get your shot one more time. Get one more shot. Even though, even if you had your required amount from the doctor, go get it one more time. And the and then the big bold letters in the ad was "baby one more time," and it showed a baby holding a big vaccine, yeah, and it just made me want to puke. It was really disturbing. It I have re- to laugh. <laughs> I mean, it sounds so. retarded, for lack of a better euphemism. I'm sorry, I have to use that term, but that's the way it is. It's just. You know, it's the propaganda. And one of the things that I did when I was on my trip back to the U.S. is I made sure that I started reading more. And when you have people like Edward Bernays in his book Propaganda talking about how you're supposed to fill and saturate the world with propaganda techniques and, you know, marketing techniques and strategies. And, you know, it's supposed to condition the public to, you know, acclimating to whatever policies that these corporations want. You know, it's supposed to fill their heads with the idea that these things are good when, in fact, they may or may not be. Mm-hmm. But I think, like, the Edward Bernaysian version of propaganda where he says that you're supposed to be true to your word and follow through with your services so that they're closely matched and interlinked so that you're not deceiving the public, but rather influencing gently their opinion. What corporations are doing now is far from that. They're actually lying outright about a lot of their policies and about a lot of their um, their practices. So say, for instance, you have a lot of these corporations saying, oh, well, GM- GMOs are okay. And then a study comes out from France or from Russia that says, wow, they cause in 90 days monstrous tumors across you know, a rat's body. That's not proper marketing. But corporations have got this, you know, Caligula, Nero-type mentality these days where it's like, oh, we can do whatever we want. We will lie to the general public in our marketing and advertising. But when we actually dispense and disperse our products, that 
it's going to have the opposite effect or an adverse effect, or at least we'll downplay it to the point where it's not really that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's all about their control over the media. Yeah. Speaking of media, <laughs> when I went back to the United States for a visit, um, the funny thing that I noticed was that it seemed to me like a lot of people really didn't know a lot of the things that I was coming across. I'm not saying that I know these things and that only I know these things, but it's very sheltered. Now, going back a little bit, we notice that there are six mega corporations that control the media in the United States, as well as many parts of the world. We have GE, News Corp, Disney, Viacom, Time Warner, and CBS, which own an umbrella of different smaller media companies. Now, when I went back home, I was watching Fox and CNN and you know, I would watch things like The View in the morning, or I would watch Regis, well, not Regis and Kelly, I, it's been so long, uh, Kelly and Michael, and, you know, a lot of these different shows, it just seems like everyone was conditioned. I would ask people questions about basic things that they should know, and no one knew or could, could tell me. And so what I did is I chose that, you know, I chose to go to a few places and give some speeches and ask people questions about you know, what they're going to do with the talents and the gifts that they have. And the people that I came across really cannot answer a lot of the questions. So I had to sit down and just give them the straight-up talk that the way this world works, the way this world operates, does not operate on the same wavelength as America. Many people are trying to, how do I say, they're being more productive, more progressive in many other countries. And one day the United States is going to wake up and it's going to be surpassed by other countries that have been working hard for their development. Now, that's not to say that these other countries are perfect or that they are doing the same, you know, they're doing all the right things with all the right moves because they have their levels of corruption. They do their same eugenics policies, especially here even in China. But what I would say is that Americans have to wake up. They have to use their talents and their gifts to secure their freedom. And if they don't do that, they will realize that their lives are being controlled by unforeseen forces, unforeseen problems that they have no answers to because they don't ask the right questions. So what this made me do, this made me want to become more vigilant because I realized the gravity of the situation that things have been progressively worse as I visited the States. And I noticed that every time I visit the States, especially where I'm from, I notice that people are becoming more and more asleep, and then there's a demographic of people that are becoming more and more awake. Do you notice the same thing that's happening maybe through news and media, Mike? Uh, yes. When I talk to family members and friends, it's uh, very frustrating. And I've actually I, – I would like to say to our audience right now, uh, don't – push people, especially people who are close to you, family and close friends, uh, let them know that you have this information. And as things develop, as things change, they will remember what you told them. You don't have to tell them everything. Just give them like the tip of the iceberg, so to speak. And uh, they will come to you and they will remember, especially the way things are developing these days. People, more and more people who once used to call me, you know, the conspiracy theorist, are, uh, I won't say apologizing to me, but kind of like coming to me with questions now, and I'm noticing this more and more. And uh, But yeah, it just uh, 
but yeah, people are still very much in the dark, very much in the fog. So it, it can be frustrating. Yeah. And really, it's like I said, it's that umbrella of corporations that try to control public opinion. That's what propaganda was about back in the 1920s when they were coming up with modern advertising. But the issue now is it's become a form of propaganda, like state-controlled um, propaganda, which is basically corporate-controlled propaganda. They're pretty much synonymous these days. But it's like people don't really know what's happening outside that bubble. And that's the scariest part because every time I go back, I see this. And so it makes me appreciate what I've been taking the time to learn. And I want to, I want to try to do more. You know, I don't want to sit here and, you know, withhold information that could be useful to someone that could help wake them up or that could help them to, you know, at least ask questions because with every great thing, you ask a question, you begin to get the answers, and then that begins to shape your opinion. Mm -hmm. So um, let's see. Is there anything else we wanted to go over before we get into some of the news, and then we can uh, wrap well, things up? Yeah. I have some live updates, actually. I just refreshed my email. I got an email from uh, Patricia Finn, another vaccine rights lawyer. She's actually a uh, a little bit famous in the circle of alternative news. She's been interviewed by Mike Adams of naturalnews.com. She is a vaccine rights lawyer who has been uh, basically harassed by the federal government. They yeah. tried to force her to give up her list of clients, which I guess may include myself now. Is She's contacted me and told me to call her uh, just now. I just refreshed my email. And also the other guy that contacted me, uh, Alan Phillips, another lawyer, he also has his own radio show and does media. So both of these people, Alan Phillips and uh, Patricia Finn, may be potential uh, get future guests on The Last Defense 2012. Yeah, that's awesome, uh, man. Congratulations on that. And um, Yeah. And these are the only two <laughs> these are the only two vaccine rights lawyers I could find and they both got back to me so credit them for that. But well, I uh, guess things are going the way they need to, you know, you know, it says, mm -hmm. you know, there's no such thing as a coincidence and also when you need help if you ask for it it'll come. So, you know, things hopefully will go your way and I hope that they can help you out to the best of their ability and win the case for you, okay? Mhm. Mm yeah. Well, cool. Um I want to get in briefly. Let's go ahead and talk about some stories that we've been following in the news, something that's very relevant to your life and something that's piqued your interest. Now, I guess um, if I had to start, I wanted to talk about um, the Christopher Dorner incident that I saw when I was back in the States. Now, of course, to me, this pretty much uh, perturbed me quite a bit when I was watching the Christopher Dorner um, you know, standoff that happened in San Bernardino, California. Now, um, there was a lot of cover-up, you know, nonsense that happened, and the media was forced to admit that they were doing, that they were um, having a complete blackout of Twitter feeds coming from a lot of different uh, news media corporations that were reporting on what actually happened at this particular incident. Now, this is another Waco-style incident, what happened with David Koresh and his followers, and it was the same thing. The place was burned out by the police. They went in, they slaughtered the women and children. They went in and they also slaughtered um, many of the other members of the compound. But then they would cover it up to make it seem like 
the perpetrators were actually the people within the compound instead of the police. But now it's coming out through this incident with Christopher Dorner, regardless if he is a, a complete and utter douchebag about what he did. You know, you don't just go around murdering people just because you feel upset about what the LAPD did to you and that they fired you or they um, tarnished your name. The fact remains is there are better ways of going about getting, you know, justice other than this vigilante justice. But again, the LAPD and the California police, I don't really approve what they did. And I don't think that they should get away with this cover-up. I think it should be exposed 100% so that people know exactly how the police are starting to deal with people. It's becoming more brutal. I think it's also becoming a bit uncalled for. We're seeing the kind of lying trash that these people are. And the good news about this is this is waking people up to what the, <clears throat> to what the governments and to what the police departments of their different municipalities are doing. But the problem with this is, I think, personally, is that it's going to create a rift between police and citizen, and this may lead to other events that could strike potential, um, you know, fire, if I would like to say it, you know, for lack of a better term. Sorry about that. It's probably a bad reference. <laughs> Anyways. No let's get pun into intended. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, let's get into this. So basically what happened, the, the controversy surrounding this issue was that when Christopher Dorner was locked into the compound while he was trying to escape the San Bernardino, the San Bernardino um, California police, was that he <clears throat> was first off burned out of the um, compound and the San Bernardino, California police actually used what they call burners. Now, burners are actually pyrotechnic rounds that the San Bernardino County sheriffs used to torch Dorner's cabin, and they're similar to those used by the FBI in Waco. Through the five-year-old Department of Defense Excess Property Program, the U.S. military has provided police departments across the country with billions of dollars worth of military equipment, from amphibious tanks to AR-15 assault rifles, allowing the military to circumvent posse comitatus regulations by outsourcing their firepower to local cops. Now, this was coming from the article, How Law Enforcement and Media Covered Up to Plan to Burn Christopher Dorner Alive, um, a very... Power, I mean, a very powerful journalist, Max Blumenthal from Alternet, wrote this article, and he wrote this on February 13, 2013. Now, he highlights a lot of different issues that went wrong with this particular siege, and what he does is he also covers how the police were inconsistent with what they reported in the news media and how people were starting to ask questions about what had taken place at that particular siege. Now, what Max Blumenthal did, and this was a groundbreaking article, is that he was listening to the scanner feed while this incident was taking place so that he could know and hear what the police were saying. Now, what he heard was very interesting. Now, he actually heard two specific scanner feeds from the police. The first one was a conversation between um, some of the local sheriff's deputies where they were saying, we're going to go ahead with the plan with the burner, just like we talked about. And then minutes later, 
you hear another um, deputy's voice, and it says, the burner's deployed and we have a fire. So it shows that he actually, I mean, that the police actually torched the building using the burners. And then in the press conference, when the sheriff was supposed to answer for this incident, what he said is, we did not use burners, you know, blah, 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 blah. But that wasn't the truth. The second feed was an actually a more irate feed where he w- there was um, a particular cop. We're not really sure exactly who it was. But he was saying, burn that fucking house down. And this was um, not supposed to be picked up by any locals. But, you know, you hear him screaming over the um, scanner, you know, burn this motherfucker. And they're all getting really upset and... You know, they really want him dead. You can hear it in their voice. You can hear how angry and upset they are. So, what they say here is that around the same time, the San Bernardino County Sheriff's Department requested that all reporters and media organizations stop tweeting about the ongoing standoff with Dorner, claiming their journalism was hindering officer safety. As the cabin sheltering Dorner burned, the local CBS affiliate was reportedly told by law enforcement to zoom its helicopter camera out to avoid showing the actions of sheriff's deputies. By all accounts, the media acceded to police pressure for self-censorship. So, this was um, just a bit of the evidence that Max Blumenthal had picked up. Now, did you see anything about this story? Um, I'm going to pause on that. Did you see anything about this story that you found noteworthy, or did you hear anything else about this? What are your opinions on it? Well, I, I think you nailed everything pretty good. Um, one detail I would add is to the news agencies tried to say, well, they didn't want to give up you know, information to him inside the cabin, and that's why they turned off the cameras. Now, every, I think they knew very well that there was no cable hooked up to that cabin, so there was no way he could have had been watching the uh, helicopter footage from the the videos in the helicopter. So that was total bull, but that yeah. was their excuse anyway to turn it off. But, uh, yeah, I think you nailed it. I mean, it's a pretty open and shut case, I think. It's very open and shut. You know, people many, were calling uh, during the press Many news conference. agencies carried the scanner audio of basically the quotes that you just said. Let's burn this effort down. Uh, place the burners. Okay, the burners are lit. The fire started. But then they tried to say, I mean, at least just own up to it and say, okay, we, well, but I guess they don't want to go to jail. But they're going to go to jail anyway because, you know, they, they did this and I think they're going to get caught. I mean, they've been caught, but, you know, at the very least, people can see what's going on. They can see that they're lying. And, you know, to me, I wonder what kind of fallout's going to happen from this incident because, in my personal opinion, that's extremely unprofessional to just murder someone without, you know, due trial or justice. You know, mm-hmm. we're all allowed the right to a jury, you know, we're all allowed the right to have a fair trial, even if we've committed a heinous crime. That is supposed to allow people to understand that our justice system works to the benefit of the people. And if we have cops just going around murdering people willy-nilly, I don't think that people are going to really care about what happens to the cops in the future. And if cops start getting shot in the future, I'm not saying it's a good thing, but it's going to be the direct result of a lack of empathy towards the people, even if they're criminals. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this story really built our 
you know, builds that divide. You had the police shooting up trucks and cars that, frankly, didn't even look like the suspect's vehicle. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, just total distrust between the people and police. And that's a shame because we need the police on our side. Um, I've dealt with the police a lot before in New York City. And uh, it's, a, it's a mixed crowd. Some of them helped me. Some of them were part of the corruption. But, yeah, we need to get them on our side. Yeah, we do. And the thing is, in an ideal world, they would just do their job. Now, whenever you have large bureaucracies, it's not always going to be the easy way. You know, people are going to be corrupt. They will sell drugs. Cops are not going to treat everyone with compassion. People will get shot because you're dealing with a large demographic of people who have chosen to serve and protect. Some people may be serving their own interests and may be protecting their own interests, but, you know, for the majority of cops, many of them just try to do their job. So the problem that I see with this is this going to demonize the cops and it's going to get some kind of racial war going because in Christopher Dorner's manifesto, he talks about how the LAPD was corrupt, about how when he tried to help and expose an incident where one of the you know, police department members had kicked someone, kicked a suspect while they were already detained, and he tried to expose that, and he actually caught the rap for that. Mm-hmm. And he got you know, disgruntled because of that. Now, we have to understand that there are good cops out there, and maybe at one point you know, Christopher Dorner was a good cop, and he just got pissed off enough to where he said, okay, I want to do some vigilante justice and start killing some cops. But that wasn't necessarily, that wasn't the best route to follow. Mm-hmm. That was not the best route to follow. And I think that, number one, it's going to lead to a lot more cops getting killed. Mm-hmm. And we don't need to see that. We've got enough death and bloodshed already going on in the country. Having a civil war against the police is only going to make things exponentially worse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we have to look at the possibility. And, and I say this very reservedly because I do think this was a real uh, vigilante uh, hothead gone bad. But the, you, you know, you, when a government lies chronically, you just never know anymore. Uh, could some of his victims have been killed by somebody else? Was he, could he have been framed? Uh, you know, again, this is, I say this all with a pure speculation. I, I have a feeling if I had to, uh, if I were a betting man, he pro- it probably was quite the way that we heard it on television, except for the whole scenario of burning him alive. Well, I think he shot himself first. But in any case, they burned his house down or his cabin down. So, uh, But, you know, it's just – and I say this probably because when you have a government and a media that lies so much, even when they're telling the truth, even when it looks like they're telling the truth, you just never know what to believe. You don't. And the thing is, like I said, this is going to create a lot of blowback. And I think it's going to create some – serious problems for the rest of our, you know, the American society. I think people are going to start having copycat shootings just like they do with school shootings. And it's going to go from targeting children. It's going to go to targeting police. And that's what's going to initiate martial law because they're going to have too many cops getting murdered, too many vigilantes going out there and wanting to be the next Christopher Dorner. That is going to take away all of our rights 
because they're going to start initiating some new executive orders, just like, you know, Lord Obama wants to always ex- initiate another executive order passed underneath, you know, the radar whenever something goes down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, uh, what, what was it? Rob Emanuel, the mayor of Chicago, said never let a good crisis go to waste. Yep, he did. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I have to say all of this without, you know, cursing a storm up because, you know, for me particularly, I've got family back in the States and I don't want to have to deal with this all the time. I don't want to have to call home and say, okay, did you watch the news? No, I didn't watch the news. I'm watching the view, you know, <laughs> and there's like <laughs> hell going on in the background. Mm-hmm. This is what, this is our reality as Americans. We have to deal with this every day. We have to deal with our family members potentially being at stake because, you know, some idiot wants to, you know, cause problems or some Hegelian dialectic is working underway within, you know, our government, which is actually creating this incremental, you know, tyrannical law, passing law after law after law, which is something I want to get into next. But before I do that, are there any stories that you're following? I want to get your take. Yeah, I wanted to talk a little bit about the television show Conspiracy Theory with Jesse Ventura. Um, it's in its third season. I watched the entire first and second season. Have you seen this show, by the way? I've seen a few of them. Um, I saw a few of them a few years ago, and mm-hmm. um, I liked what I had seen. They have some really good ones. I saw one on the FEMA camps, and I saw one on... Um, God, what was the other one? Okay, I'll have to get back to you on that one. Sorry. <laughs> well, the FEMA camp one is interesting because they only showed that once. And that's important because that means they lost money on it. When a big uh, TV studio does a show like that, they, gotta, they don't just show it the one time and then it goes away. No, they rerun it again and again and again and again, maybe like 10 or 20 times throughout the year after it initially shows. But the FEMA camp episode... Uh, disappeared from television after one showing, and apparently there was some uh, shenanigans going on in the background that prevented that episode from showing showing again. And I encourage people uh, listening now to watch that episode. You can watch it for free. You can watch every episode for free on YouTube. I'm probably not doing the show a favor by putting that out there, but uh, I think they just want to get the information out, so I think they probably wouldn't mind. Uh, yeah, you, you can watch you every episode for free if you go to Google Video and put in the name of the episode. Okay. But uh, definitely watch that one. And I started watching season three, and I want to do a little bit of a review slash preview. I've only well, I've watched five episodes. There's Let's see, I have it right in front of me. There's seven, eight episodes, no, there's seven episodes in season three. I've watched five of them. So, uh, but I'm only going to talk about three of them today because I can't even remember them all. <laughs> remember them all. <laughs> so, uh, okay, I watched The Death Ray. This was the second episode. This is about directed energy weapons. Now, if you watch the very first episode in season one, that was about a Tesla technology called HARP. Uh, it's about, you know, I can't remember what the acronym HARP represents. It's an acronym, H-A-A-R-P. But it's basically microwave technology used to uh, potentially heat up the atmosphere and influence weather. And in the episode, they go on to allege that if they 
aim these microwaves into the ground, they can cause earthquakes and all kinds of crazy stuff. I don't want to comment on like what, how much of that I think is true or not. I just encourage people to, to watch the episode and make your own decision. But this is like a smaller version of that technology. And this is a Tesla technology. I'm talking about Nikolai Tesla. Uh, Nikolai Tesla, I, this is my own personal observation that I've never heard talked about on TV or anywhere. They don't teach Nikola Tesla in high school, in U.S. high schools. Uh, it's almost like the guy never existed, even though he's responsible for probably more patents and technologies than uh, anybody ever in the history of mankind. Uh, you could prob I don't know, this might be pushing it, but you could probably say he makes Einstein look like a, I wouldn't say amateur, but certainly not the leading or premier scientist in history. Yeah, I would maybe uh, say, like, um, maybe he makes Alexander Graham Bell like that <laughs> rather than yeah. Einstein. Yeah. yeah, just he... Anyway, my point is they don't teach about him at all. And I think this might be why. His technologies literally imply things that, frankly, our government doesn't want us to know about. Now, this is called the death ray. This is directed energy weapon technology. I don't know that he intended it to be used as a weapon, but originally this was supposed to be used in the Star Wars program. This was a program under President Reagan. The idea was that they would use the microwave technology to shoot it up at the sky and destroy or disrupt a missile presumably coming from the Soviet Union and saving our lives, et cetera, et cetera using this technology. But the concern is that it can be used for other things more disturbing. Now, I want to jump to a story that many of our listeners are probably familiar with. There was a guy called Daniel Breitbart. Uh, he died very mysteriously earlier this year. He was going to release videos or pictures, probably both, of Obama, President Obama hanging out allegedly with the, um, what, do you, what do you call it, the Weather Underground uh, uh, alleged terrorist group. I say alleged terrorist group. I think they pretty much are a terrorist group, but I, I'm not an expert on them, to be honest. But basically, they were a group from the 60s and 70s that uh, wanted to make the government more, uh, again, I'm, I'm not good with these terms. I know you were talking about these terms earlier, communist, socialist, uh, probably fascist would be the more accurate term. And uh, they were arrested and thrown in jail and um, implied for some, implied as being involved in some bombings that killed people. So in any case, these videos were supposed to be very damning to President Obama before the 2012, his 2012 re-election campaign, and Breitbart died of a heart attack literally hours before he was going to release this video, which he hyped very much, or pictures and video, and the, immediately they declared it a heart attack. They said it was not suspicious. The fact that they declare, would declare it a heart attack so quickly is suspicious in, on itself. And then the coroner or looking over Breitbart also died. I can't say if it was a heart attack or not. I forgot. But um, I think you could probably dig out literally dozens, if not hundreds, of these stories going back through history. 
I know when the Arab Spring was going on a few years ago, Mubarak of Egypt. Now, anybody who's looked at my articles about the Arab Spring, I wrote one, I, I wrote one about Libya. I wrote one about Syria. And in both of those articles, the gist of them was that these revolutions are not as homegrown as we would like to think they are. Obviously, in every country, there's people who really want to overthrow their government. I get that. But I think there's a lot of foreign influence, maybe CIA, MI6, etc., influencing those revolutions and instigating those revolutions. Yeah, and if I might add also, it's also a lot of um, uh, NGOs that do it. I know the National mm-hmm. Endowment for Democracy was a big problem in Russia, and that's one reason why Vladimir Putin had... You know, had to regulate them, if not kick them out. But, um, yeah, you had them. Amnesty International was really involved in a lot of stuff that was happening in Syria, giving false, you know, information, posing it as factual information about, you know, Syrian atrocities. And um, they had to deal with the backlash of that as well. You mm-hmm. know, even groups like Democracy Now!, who would talk about human rights abuses, they don't realize that a lot of times you have people in Bahrain or you have people in, um, you know, Iran that were suffering the same types of issues. But mm-hmm. no one was really calling them out because either they were deemed a terrorist state or they were housing the fifth, you know, Navy fleet for the United States. So, of course, you had to keep everything a secret. Anyways, sorry, continue. <laughs> oh, no, those are excellent points. And obviously a double standard there, as you mentioned. And, uh, yeah, I mean, NPR, they get tens of millions of dollars from the Rockefeller Foundation and some other, uh, George Soros, for example. So, yeah, they can't be trusted. And, and as you just pointed out, they had some conflicting interest there. But in any case, my point was uh, Mubarak also had a random heart attack right before he was going to ha- give a big speech about these issues. And there was at least one or two other leaders in either North Africa and or the Middle East that had very timely heart attacks. And I've heard James Corbett talk about this. I've heard Alex Jones talk about this. Um, This is something that's very, very difficult to prove. I cannot prove anything I'm about to talk about in this episode. And neither do I believe the TV show proved anything. But the implications are simply frightening. Uh, if they can cause heart attacks in people without any evidence of a crime or a murder, that really is really spooky. I literally, when I watch this episode, like, how do you say, like, when the hair on the back of your head kind of sticks up and you're like, oh, my God, they can really do this, you know? And especially for us, because I think people like us, me and Demond, are in sort of what I would call the red zone, let me explain. If I was a elitist uh, assassin and I was picking my next target, I would not go after your average Joe Sixpack because he's not bothering anybody. He's not upsetting the establishment. I would also not go after a James Corbett or an Alex Jones or a Webster Tarpley because they're established. And if anything happened to them, there would be investigations and public outcry you know, through the roof. But there is a middle ground of people that do uh, dig into controversial information, and they're not yet quite, uh, how should I say, household names or quite famous. And that's, that's where I think Breitbart kind of fell into a little bit. 
that's where I think me and you fall into a little bit. Oh, well, <laughs> so yeah, I was well. kind of, you know, watching this episode a little bit like uh, uh, on edge, I guess you could say. But I, I convinced myself that if we work hard and talk about it and keep doing what we do, eventually we'll get out of that red zone. And, well, you, you know. Well, you know, like you raise a very interesting point because you have people like Julian Assange. You have people like Aaron Schwartz. Um, you know, well, low sex doesn't really count. Um, but you have people who have been working hard to protect the rights of individual citizens to make information free, you know, especially with, with the WikiLeaks scandal. But, you know, they've come under fire because of that. But they've actually garnered so much support from the public, dead or alive, that they've been able to change the shape in the face of how people view how people actually like view what is deemed legitimate internet usage or legitimate information disclosure. So I think that, you know, people like us, you know, the funny thing is, yeah, you're right. We do fall into that middle ground and that middle ground is pretty much like no man's land territory, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, getting bombed and shelled. We, yeah. we put our... I'm not saying if somebody took us out, me or you out with this, there wouldn't be any uproar. But my family would not investigate. My initial best friends, they might say, well, geez, he was investigating some things. Maybe there's something going on here. Uh, I love my friends. I love my family. But um, frankly, I do not have faith that if I had a random heart attack from a directed energy weapon that they would be like, hey, maybe that's a directed energy weapon. We should investigate. I, I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> so, uh, again, like, I think that's, that's part of why I'm talking about this right now is we got to get the word out. And, again, I cannot prove this. I simply cannot prove this. I encourage people to watch the episode. And here's another kicker this episode. The, whistle, the, main, the primary whistleblower that you're introduced to in the first five minutes of the episode a guy who worked for the government and apparently knows all about directed energy weapons. He worked in the Star Wars program for President Reagan. Uh, he died two days after Ventura talked to him during the filming of the episode. He just died of a heart attack. No symptoms of foul play. And obviously the entire crew was uh, shocked. And they spent half of the episode talking about this guy, Fred Bell, who... Uh, you know, I mean, and I know this is real because, well, first of all, they interview him and then he's gone. He's dead. And uh, I heard Ventura talking about this on interviews with Infowars, uh, how this guy died right after they interviewed him. And he died the same way that they were investigating about these weapons. He died of a really? random heart attack. <laughs> totally healthy guy. Not, I mean, not really old, but, you know, relatively young as far as dying goes and I think he was in his 40s or early 50s or something, and uh, just really creepy. And they also, later in the episode, they imply that these uh, directed energy weapons could have played a role in the collapse of the Twin Towers on 9-11. I, I would recommend the people, let's just say that's true for argument's sake, and it might actually be true, because if you watch the way those towers collapse, I'm not talking about Building 7, I'm talking about towers one and two the big ones that came down they look like they're imploding in thin air and i know many university people and people who work there and collected the dust have confirmed it's been confirmed uh 10 times over that there was nanothermite used in that 
demolition. Now, if there was nanothermite used, does that mean that there wasn't other technology used to aid in that demolition? Well, I don't know. That I mean, there still could have been other technologies used. And uh, a one lady who they profile in the episode wrote a whole book about this topic and Again, I encourage people to look at this, but when you're talking about 9-11 with your family and friends, focus on the nanothermite. That's something that can be proven. Uh, this other stuff is a little bit harder to prove. So, Yeah, yeah that's good um, points, man, and that's actually very good observations because I think people need to know that, like, um, there have been so many instances, you know, I think, um, uh, what was the name of the documentary about... Um, what was it? Um, Oklahoma Exchange? City bombing. Yeah, a noble lie. Oh, noble lie, Oklahoma City. Yeah, they were City, actually right. talking about how you know, you know, certain people have been assassinated. Yeah, the names are not coming to me right now. I guess because I'm friggin' dead tired. But <laughs> like, um, you know, people have assassinations or assassination attempts all the time. Ter- Terrence just, Yankee. Ter- uh, Terrence Yankee. That's he, right. That's Terrence Yankee was the police officer. That saved a lot of people during the Oklahoma City bombing, and, and he was found body totally mutilated. I cover it in my article, "The Mechanics of False Flag Terrorism" on the Last Defense 2012. Uh, yeah, his body was found absolutely uh, mutilated in the woods after he said he was going to expose something. And he had out. supposedly killed himself by shooting himself in the back of the head at an angle with his hands mm-hmm. and feet bound, pretty yeah. much right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, after his entire body being totally destroyed that's, on top of it. That's absurd, man. Anybody that believes that that was a suicide is a, is ridiculous, I think. You know, mm-hmm. even with the Aaron Schwartz incident, that, to me, I thought that was a pretty tragic incident. Because you have a guy, you know, the f- co-founder of Reddit, who basically gave his life to trying to make, you know, internet more widely available, you know, information in general, more widely available on the internet. And, you know, the Department of Justice wants to basically charge him with a lot of ridiculous claims and allegations and charge him with heavy fines imposed on him and um, with the threat of jail time. And I think that what happened over a period, over the course of a few months, that it was just too much for him to bear and he killed himself. He took his own life. But what this is doing, this is making the internet community not only recognize what he had done for the world, but they also recognize that information and ideas, they can't be, you know, they can't be codified like that. They can't be sold all the time. There's not a copyright for every single idea that comes out. Mm-hmm. And I think that people are realizing also that internet freedom is probably our best bet for the survival of you know the human race in general because if we don't get this information out there everything that we're doing even especially like using you know websites like tumblr using things like twitter or facebook all of this you know we may one day wake up and everything's blocked or we don't have the ability to you know have regular access to these types of information like for instance you know, I live in China, but the fact of the matter is there are a lot of in, there are a lot of internet websites that have been blocked that are blocked by what I call the Great Firewall of China. <laughs> and mm-hmm. um you know, one day a lot of people in the States or in Canada or in parts of the EU 
they're going to they're going to realize that they don't have access to the channels that they used to have regular access to all the time even if it's something as trivial as like an entertainment show mm-hmm. so we have to take advantage of these internet freedoms that we have now use them to disseminate information because one day we'll wake up and they're gone the people like Aaron Schwartz the people you know um that have been helping us to know what's going on in the world you know aside from what you know the corporate media has been showing us we will wake up one day and realize that we don't have that ability anymore so not only does that mean learning how to use the internet while it's here but it also means learning how to use it when it's not so it's called creating viable alternatives to disseminate information to people learning how to use flyers learning how to network and have certain have certain um you know groups and organizations to yeah. help you know curtail the uh censoring of information on the internet because now we're dealing with CISPA first it was PIPA SOPA and it was ACTA and once these bills were shot down now it's CISPA and they're just going to keep rolling out these bills until one of them sticks and people don't know what's happening in order to initiate their protocols to censor the internet the internet kill switch as they call it okay so i guess i've ranted enough um in your case like is there anything else you wanted to touch up on or oh well i thought all that was great yeah i mean there might come a day where we need to hand out pamphlets you know to get information out because the internet might not be at least as we know it it might not be there forever uh, there's two more episodes I wanted to very, very briefly comment on. I'm going to lump them together, the reptilian episode and the time travel episode. Now, if you can't tell from the titles, uh, these are a little bit more out there conspiracies. And one difference I'll say in the third season from season one and season two of conspiracy theory is that they do not buy into every conspiracy officially. It is an investigation show. It's supposed to be a reality TV show, actually, where they all get together and they investigate a conspiracy, and they don't always agree. But generally, in the first two seasons, at the end of the episode, they would all partially or mostly seem to believe in the conspiracy. Now, that is not the case in season three. Uh, The reptilian conspiracy is the notion that the world elite are part of a sub or separate species of human, uh, part alien or part, well, reptilian, I guess you would say. Uh, I would take this one with a grain of salt. If you ever heard of David Icke, he's a guy, he comes on InfoWars as a guest sometimes. He gives speeches to uh, thousands of people in huge sports stadiums. This guy, and Alex Jones once called him a turd in the punch bowl. The punch being like the good information about, you know, private banks and false flag terror and chemicals in your food and water. The turd being that they are secretly reptoids that drink blood. (laughs) And uh, so, I don't know, like, I've actually heard some wild stories, so I, I can't. Nothing would surprise me. I'll put it that way. I've heard stories about Al Gore carrying around packets of blood everywhere he goes. This has apparently appeared in mainstream news. Um, You know, I've heard many of the theories, you know, the reptilians, you know, who 
you know, secretly use holograms to conceal their identity as, you know, normal everyday citizens. I've heard of the, you know, the Illuminati context where there are a lot of different organizations, shadow groups and shadow societies that operate um, secretively, you know, unbeknownst to the public Mm -hmm. uh, to influence people through symbolism and, um, you know, monarch programming. And mm-hmm. I've even heard people that are just crazy Nero Caesar type criminals. I mean, I believe that more than anything personally. Mm-hmm. I think that people, once they have power, they taste it, they want more, and it gets to the point where they can't control it, and it engulfs their entire lives as well as as the lives of the people they have power over. Mm-hmm. But take it however you want. I mean, I think all of these ideas are good. They're they get debate and discussion going. At least we know that there are some pretty screwed up people in our society who probably are not functioning on the same level as most human beings. So I would give yeah. them a point for that. Yeah, they do. They do marry with their within their own. That is that that is tangible proof that you can observe. I'm not saying it proves they're reptilian, but it proves that they do take very seriously their bloodline and their race and. Uh, I know that, like, the British family brags that they're descendants of Vlad the Impaler, who is the real-life Dracula, uh, who who did do a lot of – he didn't actually turn into bats and uh, fly or anything like that. But he was known to, to drink blood, and, and, and a lot – some of these guys I mentioned, Al Gore, are known in mainstream news to carry around packets of blood with them, and nobody seems to know what they're for. But I don't think that proves anything. That it proves that they're freaks. Uh, I don't know that it proves that they're reptilian. <laughs> so, uh, at the end of the episode, most of the characters—not um, characters—most of the investigators, Jesse Ventura. I forgot to mention it's not just Jesse Ventura. Tyrell Ventura, his son, Sean Stone, the son of uh, Oliver Stone, the director the movie director, um, they're two of the investigators. There's other investigators in the show from previous seasons. It's a very it's a very good cast, a very great show, reality TV show, where they do get in fights on the show, and I don't think it's staged. Um, obviously, I can't prove that, but I'm just going from my observations watching the show. They do get in fights with each other. In this episode, most of the investigators seem to agree that this is a bunch of BS, and they actually get in an argument with David Icke. David Icke comes onto the set. They have a uh, Jesse Ventura has a conversation with David Icke, which lasts presumably about five minutes. And basically, David Icke like storms away from the table and is like, "F this! I'm getting out of here." And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it didn't go well. So, and, and the other episode I want to talk about, and this one is really gets kind of silly. Time travel. And uh, they they talk to this guy who claims that he traveled through time for the U.S. government and tried to influence past events like, for example, the Battle of Lexington and stuff. It, it, it gets really ridiculous. And I almost started to wonder if this some of the topics for these episodes were not chosen by Jesse Ventura and his crew, but might have been forced on them even to try and discredit the show. Because, as I mentioned, they do actually talk about FEMA camps and other episodes. They talk about real things. But then they're forced to cover time travel, and it gets really silly and really ridiculous. And 
they obviously don't buy it at the end. To their credit, they don't buy it at the end of the episode. They do talk about the Philadelphia experiment, which they should have spent the entire episode on. That's something that's very uh, spooky. And um, have, you, have you ever heard of the Philadelphia experiment? No. What's that about? That's about a, a battleship that disappeared and reappeared and half the crew was missing or injured or something. Supposedly, I say this all obviously allegedly, but uh, – They were trying – they were experimenting with cloaking technology where they could make a ship disappear and reappear. And the ship allegedly – and I say allegedly – cloaked, disappeared and came back. And some of the crew was like missing or dead or whatever. And uh, it's it's what – I think they should have spent the whole episode on that. That was a lot more interesting than just the notion of time travel. But my point here is that this show, uh, some episodes are better than others. Um, even even when the episode is kind of ridiculous, like time travel and reptilian, you still get a lot of real information mixed in with you know the other stuff. And and again, to their credit, Jesse Ventura and his crew are for the most part, I think, on the same page with with the viewers in terms of whether they believe it or not. Uh, when things start to get really ridiculous, you can see the expressions on their faces. They're like, what are we doing here? Why are we investigating this? You know. So anyway, my point is watch the show. If nothing else, it's entertaining. Uh, definitely some of these episodes are really important, and I think everybody should watch some of them. The, the Death Ray one, certainly the FEMA camp one. Uh, in, in seasons two and seasons one, there's episodes on 9-11. There's episodes on secret societies. There's an episode on Wall Street, police state, JFK, uh, poison in the water. There's a lot of great episodes here. I think most of them, all of them are pretty good. All of them are worth watching. Yeah. Uh, some of them are more, how do I say? Uh, ridiculous. Important or ridiculous than others, but even the ridiculous ones are worth watching because I think there's some good information. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think these are questions people should ask. Like, I think that people should ask questions about everything. It's the only way we can actually get the answers. I keep stressing that, and I think that that's an important policy that people should carry in their lives. And, you know, what Jesse Ventura is doing is amazing considering he's been you know, he's had his shows aired on national television, international television. And, you know, this gets people asking the right questions. You know, what's going on with our food and water? What are these FEMA camps for? Why do they have millions and millions of boxes in these FEMA camps that could potentially be coffins? Mm-hmm. So, you know, my hat's off to him, and I hope that he can continue doing this. But I know that he's actually had trouble getting his show back on the air. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah, this season three was supposed to air in 2011. If you look at, I'm looking at Wikipedia right now, it says season one, 2010, season two, uh, second half, 2010, season three, 2012. It was filmed in 2011, but it took them that long to get it approved. (laughs) Who knows what went on behind the scenes? You know, maybe some episodes were taken out or replaced. That's the other episode I just saw. I remember, sorry, it came back to my head. Um, I saw the Harp episode mm-hmm. by, you know, Conspiracy Theory. Yeah, Harp's um, a good one. Everybody yeah. should watch that. Especially if you watch the Death Ray episode, watch Harp first. Yeah, and actually same, Harp. Same technology, I think. 
Yeah. HARP actually stands for High Frequency Active Oral Research Program. So um, I remember we were talking about the acronym. You were mentioning that. So mm -hmm. I just wanted the, our listeners to you know, know what that stands for. So what it does is it actually heats up the ionosphere, like you said, and it creates um, you know, disruption or it can actually manipulate the weather. It can uh, create um, lightning storms. And it can also cause severe droughts or it can cause torrential rains. So they can basically manipulate the weather by a specific point by targeting a part of the earth, heating up the ionosphere to a specific level that it needs to in order to manipulate those changes. It can even cause earthquakes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and all, it's not just the United States. Uh, all the major countries have this technology. In fact, I'm looking up on Google right now. Uh, I believe it's Dubai uh, causes rain for their farmland. Mm -hmm. I'm 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 looking it up right now as we yeah, speak. Yeah, Russia has one as well. I know. Yeah. So I mean, this is admitted mainstream news. Is what I'm saying. This is not uh, just conspiracy. That these technologies are talked about in mainstream media. Yeah. Well, cool. Um, I guess is there anything else? Uh, let's see. Uh, Gosh, there's so much in the news. Um, I, I think it'd be impossible to get into everything, but uh, I think we did a pretty good job today. You know, we talked about um, you know that whole shooting situation on the West Coast, and uh, you know, I talked about vaccines in this TV show, and uh, you know, I think we're, I, I think there's a lot of exciting things to come. I'm obviously, I think for me personally, I'm going to be doing almost exclusively audio posts on the website from now on, unless, except for posting past articles. That's very easy to do. It doesn't take a lot of time. And, and posting other, other articles from other websites, I can do that too. I, am, I will be exclusively a journalist from here on out. This is my second day of um, not being an, an English teacher, so... Uh, look for a lot more activity from my end, and and especially audio podcast because I think I, I've got over thirty articles published in Korea when I, since I've been in Korea. I don't need to do any more writing. I need to do, I need to practice doing this what we're doing now and podcasting. Yeah, like I said, my hats off to you, man. If you want to, like what we can both do, you know, we can start doing articles in audio format so that, you know, the things and the topics we want to cover, you know, we'll deal more with that particular medium rather than just, you know, typing something for someone to read later on, which, however, I think what we could do, you can make a transcript of it and then that becomes your article later. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, see what happens. But, um, I guess that's pretty much it for tonight, and I'm really happy that we finally got back into doing podcasting again. I hope that we can both step it up and at least do something once a week so that we can have our listeners, you know, have a plethora of information at their disposal, and we can continue to inform the public on what what they should, you know, what we can recommend them to be aware of, you know? Mm -hmm. There's so oh, by much the way, there. I found that article, Dubai's Weather Wizards Create Rain in the Desert. You just Google what I just said, the way I said it, and uh, you'll get articles talking about this technology that 
um, harp harp type technology. But anyway, I guess we're wrapping it up now. So okay. okay. So anyways, thanks again, audience, for checking us out, and um, we are very happy to deliver this information for you. We are the Last Defense once again, Hanu Naavi and Michael Belowski. Mm-hmm. We are signing off. Take care. Okay. Thank you. Once a